You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. It's good to be together this morning. Great to see everyone here. And I will want to start off today with really just a, a more so a matter of thanksgiving and gratitude for our worship team. Praise God for the way they prepare and lead us in a time of worship. Amen. It's a great time for us to be ready to hear from God and what God's going to do in our hearts this morning. Let's start off together with a matter of prayer. And I want to share with you exactly what it is we're praying for. Uh, we have Miss Ola Parker. She was called home. And she was called to the presence of Jesus. Just New Year's Day at 4 p.m. A celebration service is going to be held this next Sunday, January the 12th. At 3 p.m. at Oak Grove Baptist Church in Caddo Gap, Arkansas. And so today, I want you to remind yourselves to pray for Brother Rick Dowdy. Brother Rick, if you'd raise your hand. He's here in our services. This was his mother. And I want us to remember to pray for him. This is some difficult times for their family. And if anyone would like to attend the celebration service, you can ask Brother Rick for directions or any questions you may have for him. You can ask him right after the service, okay? Let's go right now and begin this time before we get into the word in a little while. Let's go before the Lord. Let's pray for Brother Rick and his family. Father, we bow in your presence as the most high God. Thank you for calling us and bringing us, Lord, to the moment that Jesus Christ changed our life and has been changing it ever since. I pray, Father, this morning for great comfort and peace in a surrounding, Lord God, of your people with Brother Rick and his family. This is a most difficult time. We know that Sister Ola is in the presence of Jesus and is truly celebrating his glory, even this moment this morning. We pray, Father, for comfort for all the family. And God, may you be glorified in that celebration service. Thank you for your time this morning that you're with us here. And we long to hear from you. We want your will done in what we do and say. We pray, Father, for a mighty moving of the Holy Spirit in our own hearts as we sit here at the feet of Jesus with his own word. We want to hear what he has to say. So, Lord, speak to us for your servants are listening. Glorify your name in this service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as some of you may know, if not all, uh, Pastor Capace is actually out in Israel, as we have already heard from Brother Mo. And so he is, he is where we all would like to be right now. Would you agree with that? I think we all like to see where Christ has walked. And for some of us, maybe we've made that journey. And for others, we'd certainly like to go. Before we get into the word in a moment, if you need a worship guide, feel free to raise your hand. And you are welcome to uh, receive that here from our ushers. They'll be happy to give you one. I will tell you that Pastor Capace left us last Sunday with a message about the story in the Gospels where the man... It's brought down through the roof, and his friends brought him to Jesus. We remember the passage from last week. As he preached and taught that, we walked away with a very clear message about the compassion that's needed in the beginning point of the series of messages we're starting now of this right here on Banner, Who's Your One? And so this is a statement that involves the question, and the question is kind of dropped right in our lap. And we got to ask the question... Who is my one? Last week, Pastor Capace shared that with us as an exhortation and an encouragement. And I want to continue to ride that wave for 
Today and next Sunday, I'll be speaking about these things and us to look at what exactly is the vision of Gospel Light Baptist Church as we go into this year. And it's all based upon that statement of who's your one. And so everyone here, we want to be able to really answer that. We don't want to just kind of leave it up to someone else or delay it. But instead, we really want to kind of take ownership of that very question and say, well, who is the one? Where is my one? Do I even want one to reach for Jesus Christ? And therefore, these are questions we must ask. So we're getting into this passage today in just a moment in Matthew 9. And as we do, the focal point today, continuing on from Pastor Capace's compassion message there, is really getting into a message here today on evangelism and basically laying down kind of the necessity of why the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be communicated to other people. And today I really want us to kind of dive into that and really kind of look at it in the face and just kind of say, Am I a person, as a born-again Christian, that tells other people about Jesus Christ? And, and it's really a question that we just need to answer. It's not meant to be complicated. It's not a trick question. It's just simply a yes or no. And if it is a no, then today I pray we leave here with a yes. And if it is a yes that is wavering, I pray we leave here with a confident yes. That we really want to make sure... That the gospel message of Jesus is truly on our lips in that kind of manner. Many years ago, before the invention of modern railroad crossing lights, people used to be hired to shine lanterns to the motorist as a kind of acting caution light as there would be an approaching train. And so one particular night, stories told of a signalman who was hired, and one night on his night shift, there was a motorist tragically killed at his assigned intersection as he frantically was waving his lantern. What happened is that the signal man had to go to trial for the accident. And then after cross-examination in court, the man was found not guilty. After the court verdict was reached, the man's supervisor who attended that day, he came and after the court hearing, he came up to the man relieved for the outcome of the case. But the signal man was not relieved at all. In fact, his countenance was very evident that he was troubled. And he looked up at the man, his supervisor, and with tearful response, he said, thank you, sir. He said, but there's one thing you need to know, one line of evidence that never seemed to be reached. And that's this, that night... My lantern was never lit. You know, I think about that story. And I think about the message that is contained in the inspired and errant word that we have here to hold dear to our own heart. And the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest message that can ever be said from human lips. There's just nothing that will ever compare to the God of heaven loving the sinner so much when the sinner can do nothing with which to save himself or herself and cannot offer God anything with which God would be impressed by and somehow out of his own love 
for the sinner would reach down, do for that man or woman what they can't do for themselves and save them and then give them eternal life. Yeah, I'm pretty convinced. That's the message that we've got to be talking about. Everyone needs to know about this because it's too good to hold true. But you know what a crisis might be? A crisis might be a good reminder that the Christian's got the lantern, the light of the gospel. But if it's not lit, there's a lot of people that suffer when they don't get to hear that good news. Second Corinthians 4 and 3, this is what the Bible says. Paul had the same problem in the church at Corinth, and it's this right here. He said, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So when the gospel is veiled, it means it's not shown. Like the veil worn over the face of a bride before she's married. And the veil is taken away. The veil obscures her face until she's ready to see her husband. In the same process, Paul says, this gospel of Jesus Christ, when it's spoken, it is its own light. It has the light that the human soul needs to awaken the darkness that a person doesn't even realize they're in. It does what no philosophy or ideology can do. It is the gospel. And it's the best news that we can ever talk about. So Paul says when the gospel gets veiled, it's not veiled to people who are alive and doing okay. He says the people who don't get to hear the gospel, they are the ones in darkness. And when the Christian doesn't communicate or shine that light or say that, the person in darkness stays in darkness. Yeah, we have the light. So what happens is Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 to us very boldly when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are the light of the world. He then goes on to say, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a light or light a lamp and put it on, put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. He says, let your light so shine before all men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The picture that the believer has to go off of is that if I hide the gospel of Jesus because I'm scared of what somebody might say, I don't want someone to reject me. I don't know that I'll have the courage to say this. I get scared of how they might respond. What if I don't know enough about the Bible? I don't know what to say. The excuse sometimes and the fear of rejection, all these things began to serve as hindrances to the simplicity of this message. The simplicity of the gospel is not hard. It's not complicated. It's simply good news, y'all. I can sit next to somebody at a sporting event, never know them at all. And this person can talk with me about their life their grandkids, anything, and we're totally strangers. But the greatest news in the world that should be talked about anyway. Sometimes the believer finds a hard time struggling with that. It may very well be that right now we are all in the company of one another that struggle maybe in the evangelistic appeal of our heart in a real practical way on a daily basis. It's not that we don't know we need to witness. It may very well be that maybe there's a struggle there and we are really on the fence and we don't want to stay there, but we don't know how to get off. And we find ourselves desiring the 
just don't know how to put it into action in the way that we would practically share like we were having a natural conversation. What I want us to think about today is that this light of the gospel from Jesus is the light that we're going to always need to shine with. In fact, it sounds like a really good name to plant a church called Gospel Light. Can I get a witness? I think 27 plus years ago, Pastor Capace and his brother had a great idea when they just said, this is going to be Gospel Light because we want this church and this community to have the gospel message broadcast and communicated so every member of a church that bears that kind of name, it would kind of be expected that anybody a part of a church called Gospel Light should be sharing the gospel. Amen. And the realization of that is that every member would say, am I doing that? Is that something that's happening in my life on a daily basis? But let me just put it this way. Practically speaking, how does Jesus really want us to shine the light of the gospel. I will say to you in this manner, and it would be this, by fishing for men. Because in Matthew four nineteen, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Not church attenders, not Bible readings, not prayer, though all these things all inclusively are certainly part of the Christian message and lifestyle. But Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, let me tell you where I'm going so you know where I'm going. I'm going after the people. I'm going to where the fish are. I'm going because these people are going to die. Time is ticking. As the video was shared this morning, it's our time. It's a time to wake up. It's a time to rise up. It's a time for the church to be able to say, you know, I got to recognize that I can't, I've got to, I can't just huddle with all my Christian friends. I got to break the, I got to break the huddle at some point and run the place got to get out there and I've got to be serious about the mission of Jesus Christ because he's so serious about it it cost him his life he wants people to be saved and he's invited me little old me and you to be a part of that to share in that but the question we might ask ourselves is this question here why why the urgency of this Like, what makes this such a very big, important thing? Why is it added to? Why can't church attendance and Bible study and prayer and fellowship and serving and helping your neighbor? Why can't those things just be kind of a dynamic checklist that makes a good, effective Christian lifestyle? Why do we have to add the evangelism in because people get uncomfortable and it feels awkward to them? And it's a little strange to tell a stranger who doesn't know you about Jesus and you don't know how they're going to respond. Why do we have to? And so many times over the years, I've heard Christians share that with me. That, man, I, I, I would serve God in all these other ways, but why? this one seems to be the hardest to me. To just really be willing to share Christ with people that I don't even know. And certainly people I do know. The reason why, y'all, and I want you to hear this. This is why. This is why I don't have an option. This is why I can't let, I can't bow down to fear. And I can't bow down to uncertainty. I I can't run from that and you, you and I can't either. Here's the reason why this is the urgency. Here's what it is. It's because every human being is born into the sin of Psalm 51. When David said, 
and sin, my mother conceived me. And unless people repent from their sin, sadly, they're going to die in their sin. And they're going to die in their sin in such a way that the wages of sin is death. And if they die in their sins and they take their last breath here, then they die into hell. The Bible talks much about hell and it talks a lot about heaven. But Jesus wanted to know about both. In John 8, 24, Jesus made the statement, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The urgency of the message is that when I'm looking at a guy at the, in, in a Walmart checkout, or if I'm, if I'm talking to somebody here at this game, or if I'm, if I'm visiting with this person here that's around the corner, or maybe a neighbor friend, or some family gathering, and I don't really know this person that well, but I need to know them. Whoever I'm talking to and looking at, it's a great stark reminder for suddenly I've got to see this person for more than a conversation about the weather and about the hogs and about ESPN and about what we're going to buy next weekend. I need to see beyond the commonalities and say, this person is eternal. I think he will live long and she will, but I don't know. And I don't know if I will ever have a conversation again. I, I've got to move beyond the weather. And I've got to move into the eternal matters. Because one day, this man, woman, boy, girl, is going to give an account to Almighty God. And I need to know that while they were on my watch, I took time to make sure I shared with them the most important message I ever could about Jesus Christ. These urgencies are here because sin has corrupted a person's heart and mind. And because of sin in the heart and mind of a human being that's infected with it like a disease, Satan has used this for all this time and still today as ammunition to blind the unbeliever from the gospel light. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he says, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, Lest the light of the gospel, who is the glory of Christ, the image of God, should shine upon them. And so what, what I'm trying to say is that when a man, woman, boy, or girl is walking around going through their daily life, if they are lost without Jesus Christ, meaning they've never been saved, they're not a Christian, they don't know Christ yet. So in that moment, the state of their soul is dark. Even if they look happy on the outside, inside, they're trying to figure life out without God. And they don't really know what to do. And they live off of a high. They live off of a relationship. They live off of feelings. They live off of things that keep coming and going. They keep getting disappointed over and over again. And they finally start figuring out that, man, something's not right here. What's happening is that they have no light about which to shine what's happening inside. And when the gospel of Jesus Christ is shared with someone... And the Spirit of God is awakening inside of them what they need to know. You and I begin to announce this and that's all we do because the Holy Spirit of God's the great evangelist. He's the one that does the convicting. He stirs their heart. He brings their understanding and suddenly there's a day come that all of a sudden the darkness begins to break with a lot of the gospel. And they begin to realize, I see now. I see now my sin. I see now my sin like I never have before. And because I see the way my sin is, I'm broken. I've, I've hurt God's heart. I caused Jesus Christ to die. He was innocent, but he died for me. 
And suddenly that heart that has been in darkness, that begins to awaken because the gospel has been penetrating, yeah, then all of a sudden, that person can't get to Jesus fast enough because they want him to save them. Hallelujah. When we share this message, I'm so glad that God is already going before us before we ever get there. Because he knows who's going to be saved. And he needs his people on mission field sharing it on a daily basis. When we look at it from this vantage point, this reality is what drove Jesus to die on the cross for sin. This is what made him do it. He didn't want people to leave this world the same way they came in. Lost. Oh, Zacchaeus in a tree. Jesus sees him in Luke 19. And he says this in verse 10 when Zacchaeus gets saved in his house that day. He says, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And the reason why that's significant is because Jesus came to seek and to save. Not just to save. But to seek. It's the seeking that is the fishing for men. The seeking is that I've got to go to the store to get milk and bread. And on my agenda, I'm just going to get milk and bread. But I know as a Christian, I can't imagine who God has set up in my life path to cross paths with today. Because God is sovereign over every human being. And today may be a day that while I'm there to get milk and bread, this might be time that I'm having a conversation with somebody because my purpose is not the milk and bread. That's the byproduct. My purpose is Jesus. I'm not just going to say you're Lord in the four walls of the church on Sunday. You're Lord of everything I do, even going to get some groceries. So God, I'm open. Lord, I'm ready. Lord, use me. I'm not going to force it on anybody, but I will wait to see what you generate, who you bring. And I will be willing, Lord, to speak as opportunity begins to show. So what happens at the gospel? Is that the Christian is every day ready for this. And so every disciple is entrusted with this gospel to share this good news because humanity is sinfully infected. And they've got to have somebody to tell them. And that's where you and I come in. Jesus wants his people to be fishers of men, not just keepers of the aquarium. He wants us to be in this in this way. Unfortunately, this is a very real modern day crisis that has plagued the body of Christ in a way that none of us really are comfortable with. But I'm going to tell you, in recent statistical research and things by the Barna Group, they do statistical studies on churches all across the nation and one of the most recent they found in some recent years is something that really stuck with me. They did a poll of multiple, multiple Christians across all denominational Protestant lines. And in the poll they found that the confession of the body of Christ was this. Only 2% of born-again Christians said that they actively share their faith on a regular basis. The 98% that were left said that they are born-again Christian, but they are not actively engaging and sharing their faith daily with other people. The challenge in that is that there's no way the gospel message can get to the world in that manner, much less right here in a local community, if that is the practice of God's people. I pray it's not so with gospel light. 
I pray that every born-again believer in this place has got a great announcement you leave here with every day to tell someone about Christ wherever you go and whatever you do. I pray that we're all doing that, but that statistical poll is alarming, that that is how low things have fallen. And Jesus has given us this great message for the next two weeks. Let's not only study what the scripture says about this, but I want to challenge you in this. And Pastor Capace has been sharing this with me. I've been sharing this with him. It's really a challenge as we go into this year. The challenge is not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers. And, and seriously, not just to know that we should tell people about Jesus and evangelize. But I'm going to ask you, if we could be obedient to this in a way that it transforms our lives. Maybe to this point we've gotten by with being pretty serious about our Christian faith. Except for this one area that we might struggle And for some of us, it might be because everybody we hang with, everything we do, multiple hours through a week, predominantly are spent maybe with Christian people. And therefore, we find ourselves having to discipline our mindset to get outside of our Christian circle to go to where non-Christian people are and be busy about the gospel and sharing it. For some, that might be difficult because we really like the fellowship of one another, and we should. But we have to leave that fellowship at points to go and get the gospel to people because that's what we're supposed to be doing is getting it out. What we look at today in this manner is that for the body of Christ, if we could be obedient to Jesus, here's what it would come down to. What we really need in some kind of way or another is we just need a fresh vision of Jesus. We, we need to seek the Lord Jesus just for a fresh vision of who he is. When I say a fresh vision, I'm not talking about an emotion or, or, or going back. I'm talking about just saying, let me stop and smell the roses. Let me stop and remember this great salvation I've been saved by. Let me just be thankful in this moment and let me just bring the totality of what happened when Jesus redeemed me. Let me kind of go back to that. And when we get a fresh vision of that, we kind of go back to when we first got saved and the fire of God's burning in our heart again and we're excited about being saved and therefore we find ourselves then being like Mary who's at the tomb of Jesus on an early Sunday morning and realizes he's Lord, he's risen from the dead and sees him alive and says she goes to tell all the disciples that he's Lord and he's alive. It's that overflow that God's people need. Because if we don't have that inner burning joy and enthusiasm because of how grateful we are to be saved, then witnessing will be reduced and left to sharing the gospel based upon a methodology or making it based upon an emotion instead of it being intentional and just being ready to say, here I am, Lord, use me today. Who are you going to give me today to tell about your great name? When God's people begin to get in that mindset, we get a fresh vision of Jesus. And I will say to you that a fresh vision of the risen Savior can set our hearts on fire with some spirit-filled joy, y'all. A fresh vision of Jesus will captivate and rejuvenate and resuscitate some stagnated life support, stagnated faith that's on life support, and it'll shock it back into rhythm to the living Christ. Let me put it this way. 
If I wanted to describe burgers, I might point to a charcoal grill. Anybody like charcoal grill burgers in here? Just asking, all right? Some of you like gas. That's all right. You're all right. But some of us like charcoal. If I wanted to point to, if I wanted to point to a city park, I would be able to say, this is going to be where you find a playground. If I wanted to go ahead and speak and, 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 and describe discipline and honor, I would likely point to our nation's military, armed forces, for which we are all thankful, and our local police. But if I was trying to describe to you the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God, the savior of sinners, the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the bread of heaven, the way, the truth, the life, Emmanuel. I could be only pointing and describing Jesus Christ. I will tell you today that there's no other name higher. There's no other Lord greater. There's no other Savior that's mightier. There's no other light brighter to open some blind eyes, to make the lame walk, to heal leper skin, and to reform withered hands, to raise the dead to life again, to walk all over storms, Instead of the storms walking all over him, I could be speaking only of Jesus the Christ. Therefore, what's more important at this moment is we want Jesus to go ahead and speak to us. Let's hear what he says. And here is what he shares. In Matthew 9, this is the word we find in verse 35. Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were weary and worn out, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. What we find in these verses is that in chapter 5, 6, and 7, right before you read that, Jesus is preaching what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he preached his heart out that day and lives were changed incredibly that day. You go to chapter 8, right after the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 9, and you find that Jesus then goes on a healing crusade. And he is going all over the map. And he is healing every sickness, disease. People are finding out about who he is. Then you get to chapter 9 at the very end. And we find these verses we just read. And when, if we fast forward and on into the next chapter, you know what happens? It's then that he sends the disciples out. To go fish for people. But he couldn't send them out. Unless he gave them a model. He couldn't let them go fish for men. And make fishers of men out of them. As they followed him. Without giving them some type of blueprint to look at. And what we find in these verses. There are three practices that stand out in these verses. Of what it looks like to catch one. What it looks like. To witness to one. To actually lead them to Christ as the Spirit of God would be willing. And here's what it is. What we need as we follow the model of Jesus. Is what we need, first of all, if you look at verse 35, this is what it says. 
Then Jesus went to all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. Everyone say that with me. Teaching, preaching, healing. So according to this, Jesus is teaching, preaching, and healing. And this right here shows us what this all is looking like in context. What we need from that model is we actually need conviction for the mission itself, not just the mindset. Dr. Bill Hole, who's one of my favorite voices on discipleship and evangelism, he wrote a book years ago called The Disciple-Making Pastor. And one of the captions in his book goes something like this. He says, the great commission of Jesus has become more worshipped than it actually is obeyed. In other words, the Christian knows to tell the people about Jesus. They know to evangelize. It's not like they're trying to be disobedient. They know. But Christians can put the Great Commission sometimes on a nice decorative shelf and point to it and idolize it and say, yeah, we're supposed to make this up. Yeah, we're supposed to win the nations of Jesus. We should tell. But not actually do it. And then day in, day out, every grocery store run, every game, every interaction, every person, every neighbor. And it's like the Christian can get used to just kind of going through a busy lifestyle and miss all these opportunities that God has set up for them to share. And as the Christian doesn't share, God patiently waits and waits for the next one and the next one. How do we know this? Because the harvest is abundant. So it's, 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 not, it's not that God is sitting idle in heaven. He's working and mightily the Spirit of God is moving in the hearts of so many people. And God's people have got the message to bring it in and to give it out. But what happens is that what we need is we need a conviction for the mission, not just the mindset. You see, there are like two types of people in every kind of church. You got those who talk to the lost, and then you got those that talk about the lost. Those who talk about the lost are worshiping the Great Commission, but they're not obeying it. Those who talk to the lost are obeying the Great Commission, and they're worshiping Jesus. And what we've got to go back to is to know that by God's grace and help, we can continue the mission of Christ by God's grace. We can share these things. We just have to be willing to obey. This passage brings out two convictions that drove Jesus in this mission. And what we find, because he was teaching, preaching, and healing, we find that that is involving some things that we want to document right now. And that is this, two things. The absence of Scripture and the affliction of health. In the absence of Scripture, this is the reason why God's people would then go ahead and share the gospel. This is why Jesus was teaching and preaching, because the people he's teaching and preaching are lost. And they're going through their life with no word of God working for them. They're living their life based on human wisdom and ideology. They're trying to figure life out. And they are just hitting one brick wall after another after another. It's because the word of God is not being their counsel. The word of God is why they can't make progress. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And they need to start right here. 
to hear from the God that created them as to what he wants with their life. And first thing he wants is to save them from their sin so they can know the Christ. In that aspect, Jesus was also healing. And that tells you and I that as he's healing, there are people all around us that are afflicted with health. Their health is breaking down and they're, they're struggling and they're hurting. And, and the person that never has been wanting to hear about Jesus because they ran from that because of bad experiences or something in the past, suddenly they've got six weeks to live. And now they're in a position that they're more sensitive to the message of the gospel than they ever have been. Because now their mortality is running out and they realize, I need to give some attention to these things. The Spirit of God works in people even through sickness in their life. He works in people who are broken down and busted and disgusted because they're, they're not in obedience to the Word of God. Jesus would teach and preach and heal in that manner because people's lives were wrecked by life without God through His Word. They needed Him, but they just didn't know how to look for Him. And that's where people are. People need him all around us. And they're trying to find whatever they can to satisfy inside of them what can only be satisfied through a relationship with God, through his son Jesus. That's where everything starts, y'all. As the song was sung this morning, that's how we build our life. Our life is built on the rock of Christ, not on seeking sand from this world. We need him in this way. Another area that is a good practice for us to go fishing for men it's not just to have the conviction in our heart to do so. More than just having it in our mind. We don't want the lost to just be in view. We want the lost to be more than just in our mindset. We want to be able to go to them and fish for them. The other area is the conviction moves into what verse 36 brings out. And it's right here where he says this. He says, when he saw, when Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. What God's people must have, according to what Jesus displays right here, is we need compassion for the miserable. Right now, even here in this worship gathering, there may be some of us that are just miserable. And the misery is triggered and stimulated maybe from a lot of different things and circumstances. But we find ourselves relating to that verse. And we, we find ourselves saying, I know what that's like. Weary. Worn out. Like sheep having no shepherd. When this gets in our soul, when we bear this down and we empathize with those around us. That's what begins to happen is that we see people from these lens. We don't see them from the external. We see them as eternal human beings that God wants to do a great work in their life. And we are the agents through which we share this gospel with them. And the Spirit of God does the rest. Not dependent on us, but dependent on Him and His will. And what begins to happen is that when Jesus would look at these crowds... And he had compassion. Listen, that's why he was teaching them and preaching. That's why he was healing. He was looking at all these people and he was, he was just upset that they were trying to go through life without him. And he was like, guys, you don't realize time is ticking. You're going to die one day. You can't keep going like this. 
Because if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you always got. If you want to stay in this relationship, move to another and another and another, the relationship is not going to fix the pain. Jesus Christ fixes the pain. In fact, he heals it. And he helps. And what happened is that Jesus would look at these crowds and he had compassion. And when he had compassion, the Bible says he had it in such a way that he was, he was compassionate because they were weary and they were worn out. The two different essentials are the things that we look at here as marks of misery for Jesus' compassion. This is what we need. We need compassion for the broken and we need compassion for the bullied. Because when the Bible says they were weary, they're weary because they've been trying things without the Lord and therefore their life is a great disappointment. And they try something and they have a seasonal high and they think, okay, I'm happy now. And then suddenly they have a low and they go, oh no, it's not working out. And they go up and down and up and down and they keep looking for what only God can satisfy. And so when we, when we get the gospel to somebody, we're able to see that he, through the power of his spirit, he is able to heal and help anyone in a way that they go, I have been looking in all the wrong places and for all the wrong reasons. Now, Jesus is Lord of my life. Now, he's owner of my days. And when we look at people the way Jesus does, we will see them as weary and worn out. The Greek term there in the passage actually means harassed. They're broken. They're bullied. Why? Because 1 Peter 5 says to us in verse 8, Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan has a mission. And his mission is to seek out people to destroy their lives. We have all kinds of spiritual warfare that we're up against, even as Christians. Imagine the one that doesn't know Christ. How Satan would love to keep them bound and keep them blinded and keep them broken and keep them bullied. He wants to use anybody he can as a punching bag and to keep on making them have hardship. And he's working all the time to try to bring confusion and deception in the hearts and minds of people. And the answer that they need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the remedy for everything that we could never do on our own. It sets in order and motion the word of God, the spirit of God comes inside of a person that's lost, regenerates them, renews them. They have a new creation inside of them. So anything we're trying to fix in someone can only really be fixed by transformation. Through the Spirit of God. And we must get them the gospel because that's the beginning point. That, that all happens. But until then, we're chasing our tail. They need the gospel. And so God's people just have a simplistic message that has a powerful eternal punch to it. And the Holy Spirit does the rest. We just need to be heralds and announcers of what Christ has done. And we may be amazed... How the Spirit of God has already gone ahead of us and worked in someone. And we're going, wow. Even in my simple understanding of these things, the Word of God went to work. Exactly. Because that's all we are doing is announcing. And when we do, we realize that we look at people the same way that Jesus did. 
So when I see a guy or a girl, I don't reach a point of judgment on them. We don't want to look at them and arrive at some preconceived idea about who they are, where they've been, what they've done. But instead we look at them and go, man, you are eternal, brother. You you have value. You're You're not created as junk. You're not a waste. You are the precious treasure of God. He made you with purpose. And I want to give you this gospel message so that you can know how much you are loved and valued. And if you're willing to repent and turn from sin, Christ, who died for you and rose again, he will bring up inside of you a new creation. And he will change your life. And then you live for him as Lord of your days. Yeah. When God's people began to give God's people, uh, give the people of this world those, that message, that message is communicated to the broken and the bullied because we care for them. We look at them like Jesus did and we have compassion and we don't look at them as saying, man, you have messed up your life. What are you thinking? What have you done? How did you not know to do better? Instead, we just say, I get it. I've made so, so many mistakes too. And I've made failures and I've had these disappointments. I get it. And I'm vulnerable to sin like you are. I get it. But don't stay there, man. Don't stay there, lady. Let's move from this. And let's see what God's going to do in your heart as you see your need for Jesus Christ. When we began to work in the manner, we see the broken and the bullied the way Christ did compassionately. And when we do, that brings us third of all and last of all to the last part of this text. And I want you to see what it is. The practice we need to fish for men and to catch one is found right here in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. According to what Jesus is saying right here, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing. The disciples are getting a front row seat to all this action. They see it being modeled. And then he goes ahead and suddenly he just stops. I almost in my mind just see Jesus broken hearted because he has compassion as he looks at the multitudes and goes, oh, they're trying to live life without any shepherding. They're trying to make decisions in life and they don't even have a shepherd to guide and counsel them. They need me. Jesus was broken for them. And when we see them that way, we will be too. But this right here tells us when he looks at the disciples and he says, guys, the harvest is abundant. Look at those fields out there. Look at, the, look, at the, look at how they're ready. We need to go ahead and get the equipment ready. We need to get ready to bring in the harvest. But guys, we have a crisis. We don't have enough help. There's not enough people out in the fields working the harvest to go bring in the harvest because they're ready. In this moment, in this passage... When we hear Jesus say that, the two essentials to reap the harvest that God has prepared people for the gospel, the two essentials that we need. Number one is to participate as a helper to Jesus. Because what Jesus is saying here is, guys, I'm all about the people. I'm all about the multitudes. I want to get the gospel to all these folks because they're going through life and they're not ready to die. And they're living their life and they're so away from what I have done for them. I get them the gospel. When we look at Jesus and we say, Lord, Isaiah 6, 8. When the Lord said, who will go for us? Who will we send? 
Isaiah stood up and he said, hey, Lord, here I am, Lord, send me. When Jesus has to look at the harvest and go, guys, there it is. Let's go after it. And then look and see that there's hardly anybody showing up to go witnessing, to share the gospel. It breaks his heart. And I don't want to be one of those. And I know you don't either. I want to be able to look at Jesus and say, Lord, I'll help you. Lord, I don't, I don't care if anyone goes with me. You are, you've died for me. You rose again. Lord, you gave your all. I'll give whatever I can of myself. Lord, use me. I'll go. God forbid that there be a labor crisis in the church 2,000 years later when we've had 2,000 years to get this right. The Lord knows. He loves to use his people. And when we say, Lord, here I am, then let's get ready and let's go. Because how many of you know God is great with mercy and compassion? And if God's people stay stuck and, and just say, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I have enough courage. I, I'm not sure because it might be very uncomfortable. And I've tried once before and I didn't know enough. And then I just kind of walked away and felt so embarrassed. Instead, if we would just choose to not make any excuses. Instead, if we would just be able to say, you know what? If it is uncomfortable for me to share the gospel and I squirm and I wiggle and I kind of don't know what to say, but I share the simplicity of the message, no matter what discomfort that causes me, it'll never be worthy of the discomfort that Jesus took from me in agony for six hours on a cross. If he can do this for me to reach my lost soul, and I owe him my discomfort to do whatever I can to be on team with him to reach others. So you know what this all comes down to? It comes down to praying for more help as a second part to the essentials of the commitment. Today, the commitment for God's people is, will God's people that are wavering in this evangelistic area Will God's people be willing to say, going into a new year, the church has got a vision. I'm a part of this body. I've got a gospel light to share. And I really want to be eager and aggressive. In fact, I want to be intentional and I want to be very articulated and careful as to how, on a daily basis, I will do this for the glory of God. And it might be that you find another brother or sister in the church to tag along with you to say, hey, will you hold me accountable? I want to start sharing the gospel with people and I won't be scared to death, but I need to start doing this because I've gotten comfortable in my Christianity and this is one area I need to grow in and mature in. I've got to step out and I'm going to have to need some courage. Will you pray for me? Absolutely. Why? Because the harvest is abundant and therefore people need to be reached and they're ready. Many are ready because the harvest is ready but they just need God's people to go out and that's why we don't want to miss it. I will share with you that when Jesus had the disciples and he had the life that he gave them and they had together, I want you to be reminded that one of the things that they did as fishermen is they had a fourfold process in ancient Israel. In ancient Israel, the Bible says in Matthew 4 that they immediately dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. When Jesus called four of the 12 disciples, 
They were fishermen, and those four of the twelve had fishing nets. When Jesus called them that day, listen, they dropped their nets, and they followed Jesus. The reason why that's significant is because in ancient Israel, washing, mending, casting, and drawing of the net is how they did it in that fourfold process. And so before they would cast the net and then draw the net in a fish, the first things they had to do is they had to wash it and they had to mend it. When they would wash their nets, it's because when they would go fishing, they would get debris caught in the net and trash and it would, as it would glide through the water. So when they bring in the catch of fish, before they cast out again, they first had to wash the net so that it wouldn't make their fishing ineffective. You don't ever go fishing with a dirty net. And it would be important for God's people to say, I don't want to go fishing with a dirty heart. If I'm going to fish for men, I want God to clean my heart. I want God to work in my heart. I don't want to try to do this as a tryout and then stop in a couple of weeks. I really want this to become a part of who I am as a Christian. And I want to share the gospel because it's my responsibility as I am entrusted with this glorious gospel I've been saved by. But I need God to work in my heart that it's not dirty, but I want it to clean me. When they would wash their nets, then they would mend the nets. They mended the nets because the trash and the debris that sometimes would get caught in some parts of the net, it would cause rips and tears. And when it did that, it would leave portions of the net with gaping holes, which meant when they would throw the net out, if they didn't mend those tears, they would lose fish in the catch. If I've got any tears and rips in my fellowship with other people, even in this church family, it would be right for me to say, brother, sister, I want to be able to fish for men and I want to have a clean heart. I want to wash the net. And I want to mend anything in my life that's broken and disgruntled. I want to make sure that I just go forth in the message of the gospel with that mission and fish effectively. I'll tell you today, Jim Elliott, when he passed away in 1956, he was a missionary in Ecuador. He was on a team of five people. They went to the Aka people, an unreached, unengaged people that had never heard about Jesus Christ. They were unreached by civilization, cannibalistic. These five missionaries said they got to hear about Jesus. They went, and in a short time after they reached the people with the gospel, get a chance to finish the message before they were all five speared to death and left to die there in the river. It was tragic news for everyone to hear. Even though they had guns, they wouldn't pull the trigger to shoot the people because they hadn't heard about Christ. And Jim Elliott made it clear to his whole team, we won't shoot them if our lives are on the line because they've got to hear about Jesus and we want to make sure we do not forbid that chief of that man, of that tribe, he got saved. He got saved and the whole village got saved at the blood loss of the martyrdom of Jim Elliott and his team. One of the things that Jim Elliott wrote in his journal right before he died, he said these words, and I believe the words are so true to this day for what every Christian probably wants of his or her life. And here's what he said. He said, Father, Make of me a crisis man. 
bring the people I contact to decision. Father, let me not be a milepost on a single road, but God, make me a fork in the road so that men must turn one way or the other when they are facing Jesus Christ inside of me. For you and I, our prayer today is in the same manner. Romans 10, how are they going to hear unless they are sent? How will they know without a preacher or somebody proclaiming the message? How will they believe in whom him of whom they have not heard? The necessity of the gospel is that God's people have the message and they need to go tell it to the world with joy and gratitude for what Jesus has done. It's the greatest message ever to be told. Today, the question stands here before you. Who's your one? Evangelistically speaking, is there any of us here today that say, I don't even know Christ and I believe this gospel and I want Jesus Christ to save me from my sins. I believe he died and rose again and I want to give him my life. I'm ready to be saved. If that's you, my friend, you come forward or in your pew, you cry out to Christ and let it be that he saves you if you are being drawn by him. But if you are the born again Christian that is sharing the gospel all the time, I say to you, brother or sister, keep it up and don't stop because people need to hear about Jesus. But if you are the brother or sister in Christ as a Christian that you say, Jeremy, I go to church and I'm I'm active. I actually serve. I help out. I study the scriptures on a daily basis. I have a prayer time with God that's consistent. I'm, I'm growing in Christ, but this one area is just so awkward for me. And I just, I just want better at telling people about Christ than I am. If that's you, do not lose hope. Do not despair. Start right where you are, right here this morning. Let it begin with prayer. And in that prayer, say to the Father, I know that I can't dodge this. I can't make this go away. Jesus, this is what it means to follow you, to make this not sharing the gospel with people and I need to. Jesus, I'm crying out for conviction, for compassion, and I'm giving you my commitment that I will go forth from today with whatever effort I can and be intentional about sharing your gospel with others. If there's any of us that are burdened and convicted in our heart, and we say, that's me, and I'm, I need to, I need to not delay, I just need to just be serious. If this is the church's mission, I want it to be my mission, because it's God's mission. If you use this altar this morning if you'd like to, and you cry out to the living God, because he loves you, and he loves to keep using us no matter where we are. He doesn't care where we've been as much as he cares where we're going. Let's go with Jesus. Let's sing together. God's will be done in the coming.